Oh, hi there. Welcome to the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Westwood, the Codependency Coach. And each week, I'll be answering your questions on codependency, people-pleasing, and dysfunctional relationships submitted to me via Instagram. So if you don't already go over and follow me on the gram at Joe Westwood to submit your questions in my stories every Monday. First up today, we have a question from Kat and she asked, is it possible to be codependent and also a commitment phobe? Such a brilliant and interesting question. Thank you so much for asking this one. So my definition of codependency is that it is an addiction to dysfunctional relationships. This also includes the relationship with yourself. The description of Codependence Anonymous, which is the 12-step recovery fellowship for codependent people, is that it's a 12-step program for people who share a common desire to develop functional and healthy relationships. So both of those descriptions about codependency, Codependence Anonymous, Codependent Recovery, don't specify what a healthy or functional relationship looks like, nor do they specify what a dysfunctional relationship looks like. So there is certainly an assumption about what codependency looks like, and it's that a codependent person is clingy or needy. You know, it's the classic codependent enmeshment. It's always needing to be up in someone's business and needing constant contact and communication. And that is certainly a large part of codependency. And that is a lot of codependent people's experience. Obviously, it's, you know, much broader and deeper and more nuanced than that. But yes, that is absolutely one element of codependency. But there is a term within CODA, which is Codependence Anonymous, and SLA, which is Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, another 12-step fellowship, and that is social anorexia. So this is the other side of relationship dysfunction. This is kind of the opposite to that classic codependent enmeshment that we tend to think of as codependency. So social anorexia is when we completely withdraw from connecting with others and become hyper independent. And I'm going to include a link to some information from the SLA UK website in the show notes. So you can read some more about sexual, social and emotional anorexia. As social animals, of course, this is not healthy for us either. So circling back around to those initial definitions, being socially anorexic is just as unhealthy for us as having enmeshed and very intense and obsessive relationships with people. It's certainly less common in my experience than that classic codependent enmeshment, but it definitely exists. And now I want to share an excerpt with you from the article Sexual Anorexia and the Challenge of Social Isolation written by Noel Bell. And this is on the counselling directory website and I will link to the article in the show notes as well. People who suffer a chronic fear of abandonment may retreat from all intimate and emotional involvement with others for a period of time. 
This often has noble goals, such as seeking to avoid feeling emotional pain and vulnerability. The trouble is this often mistakes sexual and emotional anorexia for recovery and healthy functioning. Sexual and emotional anorexia can be seen as the compulsive avoidance of giving or receiving social, sexual or emotional nourishment. Deprivation with love and sex can make one feel powerful and defended against past emotional hurts. This perceived sense of control guards against feeling vulnerable and powerless and compounds loneliness and shame. So again, I'll share the link to the full article there in the show notes. But I think when we hear it laid out for us like that, it seems clear that you could have potentially developed a fear of vulnerability as a trauma response. And this is stopping you from being open to a relationship. There is something inherently vulnerable about getting into a relationship. It involves a level of emotional intimacy and trust that is basically an agreement to become vulnerable. Then there's the element of the unknown. You know, even if we have a super healthy and communicative partner, we can never know how their feelings might change or what the future holds. And again, this can make us feel very vulnerable. And depending on our past experiences, that feeling of vulnerability, rather than feeling nourishing, as it can do when you feel healthy and strong in yourself, might actually feel quite scary. And when we understand that a big part of codependency is needing to be in control, it starts to make sense how a codependent person could be avoidant, withdrawn, emotionally disconnected, overly independent and commitment phobic, as well as the more common signs of codependency that I think so many of us know or are familiar with. Codependency has us living in extremes, either completely obsessed and enmeshed with someone or totally avoidant and socially, romantically, sexually anorexic. We're either hyper-dependent or hyper-independent. When what we're shooting for in recovery is that good, healthy, solid middle ground of interdependence. And summed up concisely, interdependence looks like I want you, but I don't need you. It's also totally possible that you are happy and content without a relationship. You may not want or need one. And of course, that's totally fine. Having a relationship or not does not define us. But the fact that you've asked me the question and used the term commitment phobe makes me think that maybe you would like to have a committed relationship. So perhaps this is your opportunity to use what I've shared here to explore what's going on for you. You know, is this just a period in your life where you're very content being single? Or are you hanging out in this safe space of being avoidant as a protection mechanism from the vulnerability of a relationship? And now for our second question today. This one is from Cecilia and she asks, can you give some practical tips on how to improve my self-esteem? That I certainly can. First up, it might just be pedantic semantics. If so, please forgive me. But personally, I prefer the term self-worth. To me, 
it just hits deeper and gets to the root of why we don't value ourselves more than other similar phrases like self-esteem, self-care, self-love, which I think can be perceived as being a bit more surface level and superficial. My top three self-worth building tips are create space, get structure, play and discover who you are. So let's expand. First tip, create space. What do we mean by that? Codependent people love to stuff our lives full of all kinds of crap. Emotional crap, relationship crap, physical things. We often have overflowing wardrobes. We love to overspend, sometimes to the point of uh, you know shopping addictions and debting addictions. We can be overly sentimental and hang on to stuff that we don't need in the same way that we cling on to and romanticize old relationships and emotional connections long after they're over. Create some space, clear out some of your old crap, donate or sell it, get your life in order, organize your wardrobe, clean up your spare room, tell your sister to come pick her stuff up that has been sitting in your garage for the last three years while she's been busy partying and traveling. Clear out your diary of all your necessary obligations. And, you know, depending on your situation, you might need to ask for some help and support to do this. If you are someone who's got family obligations or very busy work obligations, or if you've got pets, you might need to get some help and support. You might need to get someone to walk the dog. You might need to see if you can do a carpool to get someone to help you out with the pickups and the drop-offs for the children. Ask for the help and support that you need to just clear out some of the obligations in your diary that either you don't want to do or are unnecessarily stressing you out and adding to your emotional load. So just remembering this idea of how codependent people are very afraid of space and so we like to stuff our lives full. If at any time you feel overwhelmed and like your diary, your day, your schedule is completely overstuffed, (laughs) that is a sign to check in and have a look at what's unnecessary here. What could I take out? What could I put off? What could I delay? What could I ask for some help with? What could I reschedule? What actually needs to be here? What do I actually need to do? And then I want you to clear out some space for free, unstructured time, which speaks to the next two tips as well, but it's worth putting in here. So this is time when you could do anything or nothing and you must protect that time. Again, this might be something that you need to ask for help and support with, uh, particularly if you have a family and it doesn't have to be a whole day. It might be an hour or two, but ask for the help and the support that you need. I mean, even that itself, I feel like maybe ask for help and support is tip 1A. Asking for help and support tells you that you are worthy of being supported. And it also just helps you get your needs met. And again, practicing asking for your needs to be met. Like it works, it's so simple, but it works on so many levels. So again, you might need to ask for some help and support to get that free time, but you must try and carve some out and get used to being worthy of your own time. You need to get used to the feeling of being worthy of rest and recuperation and unstructured time. And the reason for this is 
because codependent people often because of the way that we've been brought up and the way we've been treated in relationships we value ourselves because of what we can do and not who we are so we need time when we're not doing anything because we have to get used to the feeling of being valuable even if we're not being productive even if we're not creating something even if we're not doing something for somebody even if we're not trying to elicit praise from a person we are still worthy human beings and so this leads me nicely onto my second tip which is get structure codependency loves chaos recovery loves routine put some structure into your days and weeks get a morning routine and a bedtime routine. They can be really simple, just a few minutes, nothing fancy. You know how I suggested clearing out your diary? Well, here's the space that you can use to add in some non-negotiable self-care items, not the fluffy Instagram-worthy stuff, but the real stuff that actually makes you feel better. Maybe working out or going to therapy or a 12-step meeting, reading or journaling. They're things that you could put into your morning and bedtime routines, for example. Getting out in nature, it could also be the lovely Insta-worthy candlelit baths and all that jazz, but only if those things actually work for you. Most real effective self-care isn't sexy, it's kind of mundane, but it works, especially when you do it consistently. And my third tip for building your sense of self-worth is play and discover who you are. Do you know who you are? Do you know what you like? Do you know what you would do with your time if you had any? If you met a new person, how would you describe yourself, your pastimes, your interests? If you don't know, find out, try new things, make time for play and fun. We all need to do this, but we especially need to do this if we're doing anything that looks like recovery or healing work because it can be boring and hard and tiring. We have to make time to enjoy our lives and through that joy, we're teaching ourselves that we're worthy of that. We're teaching ourselves that we are worthy of joyful feelings. We're teaching ourselves that we are worthy of having fun, that we don't always need to be productive, that we don't always need to be seeking validation from other people because what looks like fun and joy for you might be something that other people don't think is very cool and aren't going to validate you for, but the feelings of enjoyment overtake any desire for validation that you might need. So when you're on this journey of creating and building a more solid sense of self-worth, Don't forget this vital step, which is playing and having fun and having unstructured time and discovering who you are and not needing anyone else's approval for it. And our third and final question today comes from the lovely Fee. She said, would you be able to explain why multiple people on the go is good for people who are codependent? Basically, I was dating four guys, then whittled it down to one, and I've got a bit in my head. So I pulled two back. Ha ha, OMG, I sound so terrible. Anyway, (laughs) and I feel so much better and less stressed because then I'm not putting all my energy into one thing, reading into things, and I'm more myself. What is this all about? 
Okay, so absolutely love this question. You may have heard me talk about this briefly before. I've mentioned it in some of my Instagram lives. I must say, I'm very reluctant to give this advice to codependent people because I don't know what level of recovery you're at. And me saying, you know, casual dating and dating multiple people can be a really good thing for codependent people and can certainly be a part of your healing journey. I'm always afraid that codependent people are just going to take that because it sounds really appealing and they're just going to run with it. They're going to download all the apps and they are going to go wild with seeking validation from multiple sources. And it's all just going to end up in an absolute shit show because they're not doing it with awareness and they're not doing it in a conscious way and they're not doing it backed up by, you know, recovery or the support of a therapist or a coach. But it is something that I have talked about before. So if you are in a place where you are ready to date, and if you don't know if you're ready to date, please go back and listen to episode two because I answered that question and I gave some really helpful tips for how to know if you're ready to date and what to do to get yourself to that place. But if you're in a place where you are ready to date, then it can be helpful to do it in a more casual, low pressure way where you are chatting to, dating several people at once. Because exactly as Fee described within her question, it splits your attention and it stops you from getting too obsessed and too enmeshed with one person. It's also helpful because it gives you a way to kind of compare and contrast what you like, what works for you, what you don't like, what doesn't work for you amongst different people. So, you know, there might be someone whose sense of humor is fantastic. There might be another person who is just very emotionally available. And it really gives you a real time idea of what's most important to you, what values are absolute non-negotiables for you, and what are nice to haves. What do you need from a relationship? Codependent people, when we're just dating one person, again, unless we have a a pretty decent level of recovery and we have the ability to go very slowly and to communicate our wants and needs and we're at the level where we can put good boundaries in and we can respect when we sense, hear, see those red flags pop up, It's very easy for us to romanticize and fantasize this person into being our ideal person. When we have someone that is our sole focus, that is certainly a possibility for us. Of course, you can get to a level of recovery where that isn't the case anymore, but that could potentially be where you're at. So that's why dating multiple people can be helpful. And now there's a second part to Fee's question. So I explained to Fee why it can be helpful to be dating multiple people, as I just did for you, my lovely listener. And her response was, how do you overcome that? Because even though it's great, I know it's not sustainable to keep dating multiple men. So I happen to know that Fee's particular situation is that she is soon going to be relocating to another country. So yes, if you are looking for a committed monogamous relationship, 
dating multiple people is not going to be sustainable, of course, because that's not ultimately what you're looking for. You are looking to settle down with one person who is going to be your person. But in Fee's case, she's not looking for somebody in this country to settle down with. And so I would advise that this is a great practice period. It's great actually to date multiple people and trust that when backed up by recovery work, by the inner work, by the healing that you need to do, by the support of a therapist or a coach or a counsellor, that you will get to a place where you can be in a relationship with one person or be dating one person and that you don't trip over into this level of obsession. But certainly dating multiple people at this stage is really good practice because you can practice having that feeling of not being obsessed with someone, of just enjoying their company and it not having to be your whole life, your whole focus, every single part of your brain space. I can tell that you're getting to that stage, certainly Fee, because you have said that you realized you were getting a bit too obsessed and hyper-focused on this one guy. So you brought a couple back, which I'm sure they were very pleased about. And so you were able to see where your obsession and your focus on this one person was getting to a level where it was a little bit too much. And so you used a practical tool, a coping mechanism to help yourself pull that back. With practice and time, and again, as I mentioned, you know, some real solid recovery work in the background, you know, you're not magically going to recover from codependency just by dating shitloads of people all the time. But with that good solid support in the background and kind of doing that inner work alongside, you know, dating and experimenting and figuring this stuff out, you will get to a point where you can just date one person in a more reasonable way, where you don't get super obsessed and enmeshed with them very, very quickly, even if they are someone who is a serious prospect. Thank you so much for tuning in, my lovelies. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast please don't forget to drop me a little review if you have enjoyed the podcast. Leave me a sexy little five-star rating and subscribe to and follow the pod. It helps more people find us and join the movement to have healthier and more fulfilling relationships. And of course, my weekly reminder that my codependency recovery community, Wildly Worthy, is open now. For less than £50 or $65 a month, you can get access to weekly Q&A coaching calls with me, as well as my full online codependency recovery course and a community of people who are all on this recovery journey with you. So that means a totally supportive, judgment-free zone. Wildly Worthy is open to all women and female socialised non-binary people. Thank you so much once again for tuning in. Until next time.